Welcome in. Good to have you. Last day of of August. I don't I just I don't know about you, Brian. I don't I don't know where these days go. Like these last couple of months have just absolutely flown by. I don't get it. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Are we just having fun? What's the what's the deal here? <laughs> the weeks and the months fly Ooh, past. They while just, the days it's a blur. Go by at a creep. It's a blur. Um, you know, this is a, an interesting time in the election cycle because no, we are not in like the the full on earnest campaigns, but these campaigns, particularly on the Republican side, are just trying to establish a firm base. They're trying to to build that foundation so that when you really get into the dog days of these elections, that you're equipped, you're ready, you got a war chest, you've got a, a high functioning machine and away you go. Well, Ron DeSantis, it seems, has none of that. Ron DeSantis, as he should be, is in Florida dealing with Hurricane Adalia. But his campaign, it just it feels like he's got a, you know, an F-150 that's just turning its wheels in the mud, just stuck and spinning, and it just can't get any traction. Because now we get word that Ron DeSantis' super PAC has back down never back down the pack has officially ended their ground door knocking operations in places like nevada and california of course nevada is an early battleground state california obviously has a boatload of delegates uh, on super tuesday now according to nbc news they've also ended field operations in north carolina and texas Again, two states that vote on Super Tuesday. So Never Back Down initially pitched a wide-ranging canvassing effort through these early nominating states to help boost DeSantis, to help put him up on that pedestal as a legitimate contender. Heck, they even invited reporters to let, let them get a peek inside their operations at, at their their guerrilla campaign, you know, uh, epicenter in Iowa. The PAC had planned to spend a hundred million bucks on this effort. I don't want to cast aspersions now. He's still the second leader in the clubhouse. But it, this just spells to me that Ron DeSantis is, is, is DOA. He just can't get this thing going. His PAC... It can't sustain the level of of door knocking they're doing in some of these really important states, states that really could benefit him. And instead, he's just spinning those wheels. I I think this is some pretty early warning signs of the Ron DeSantis camp, but we'll continue to watch it. Um, Meanwhile, U.S. consumer spending increased by the most in six months in July. As more Americans bought more goods and services, but slowly uh, and, and, and slowing inflation rates cemented the expectations, I think, by a lot of economists that the Fed's going to not raise rates again. They'll keep it flat. They won't raise that quarter of a percentage point and they'll kick the can down the road, maybe bringing those mortgage rates up or, or those interest rates up rather another a quarter of a percent, maybe by the end of the year, certainly in next uh, or early next year in that first quarter.
But the report by the Commerce Department today also shows an unexpected decline in first-time applications for unemployment benefits, which is another positive sign in avoiding a recession. So economists are also saying that the current pace of this increase in consumer spending isn't sustainable. Households are drawing down on their savings that they accumulated during COVID, so a lot of that is going away. Student debt repayments are going to start in October. Uh, and, and, and it's going to make it more difficult to dip into those credit cards, to 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 dip into that savings. So while it's a good sign now, it's it's not sustainable long term. Um, are you doing anything for the holiday, Brian? You going anywhere? No, I'll be working. You'll be working. I'm here all weekend. I'm off Monday, but I think Monday will be planning for Tuesday shows, Chris. Okay. <laughs> Danielle, what's your Labor Day look like? Are you going out? It's you- going to be messy. It's going to be messy. I don't even know what's going on. I let my friend Rachel put, I, I put her in charge and apparently we're hammocking. Shout out Rachel. You're what? We're hammocking. We're sleeping in hammocks, but I don't do well on my That's back. a verb? Hammocking? Hammocking. Yeah. We're going, All right. We're going hammocking. We're sleeping but, in by, hammocks. By hammocking, you mean just laying in a hammock? Yes, yes, yes. That's Okay. Yeah, we're probably. Is that gonna, a thing? Well, yes, it is. Okay. It's a very big thing. And somewhere by the, the lake. The big one. All right. The big the, one, and then we're going to The go biggest th- one? Yeah, the biggest one. So you're going up north? No, I'm, I don't, I honestly. Okay, I'm, so I, you're just hammocking in some undisclosed location. Correct. Good, all right, very good. Check well, my location over You will weekend. be one of thousands and thousands of people. I assume you're driving to this undisclosed location. So you'll be one of thousands of people driving uh, for this Labor Day, it, which... I guess technically starts today. A lot of people taking tomorrow off. Um, also, huge travel day. Uh, it, 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 the worst times of travel, most congestion is going to be between now and 6 o'clock today. And pretty much all day tomorrow is going to be a mess. AAA Michigan saying that the top five domestic destinations in the air, if you're flying this Labor Day weekend, Seattle, Orlando, Anchorage, Alaska, New York and Las Vegas. All right. Vegas, I can understand. Uh, Orlando, I get. Why are you looking at me like that for? I get it. Hurricane? Well, they're okay, I'm pretty sure. Hmm. Orlando's good. You you get an extra Disney trip in if you got the kids. Whatever. Seattle, I'm not sure I understand. Is that a destination? Yes, it is. Seattle? Lots of good hiking over there. All right. Um, And Anchorage, I don't get New York, okay, fine. TSA expecting to screen more than 414 million people with expected to be the busiest travel weekend of the year. Um, MDOT suspending a lot of, of construction traffic this weekend. Wherever they really can, uh, they say 93 out of 166 projects are going to be suspended for the weekend. So that'll make travel just a little bit easier. Hey, remember that story, Brian, of the uh, time capsule at West Point that oh, yeah. uh, they were going to yeah. open? Well, they opened it. Oh. So there were archaeologists, scientists, researchers on hand. What well, What are you hoping for? Like, are you hoping for... It's 200 years old. It could have... It could have papers signed by Ulysses S. Grant. It could have stuff from George Custer. There's... A lot of very, very famous people went to West Point. Well, I'm going to. I would gonna, imagine it's probably very disappointing. I'm going to disappoint you there. a little bit. <laughs> yeah. They found six silver coins. Okay. 
and uh, a metal amongst the sediment inside the the very very old. Because after two hundred years, all capsule. the paper or anything like that had probably disintegrated. Probably in their time capsule. So they found a couple of the coins. They range from one cent to a dollar. They date from seventeen ninety five to eighteen twenty eight. Okay. Very old. Yeah. Um, and they also found the Erie Canal commemorative medal from 1826, which marked the end of the construction of the canal just a year before. So kind of cool. I, I was cool hoping stuff. for... I was hoping for cooler stuff, too. Like scrolls. That's and, still pretty cool, uh, though. <laughs> not as cool. <laughs> yeah. uh, Donald Trump, meanwhile, has pleaded not guilty to the charges he faces stemming from the grand jury indictment in the case in Georgia. Uh, he also chose to waive a formal arrangement, uh, or, or excuse me, arraignment appearance, uh, and instead pleaded not guilty in a court filing. Donald Trump did. Also, Clarence Thomas officially disclosing trips from a GOP donor. I, I, we'll get into this a little bit later on. Are, are you surprised that anybody in Washington, D.C., and I mean anybody, from staffers to politicians to judges, is it a surprise that that these people take things on the side? It's just not a surprise to me. I, mean, I know people are no. like, we want transparency. We want accountability. And it's like, well, you haven't demanded that for years. Or you have demanded it, and you've gotten none of it. And you've just looked past it, and you've glossed over it, and this is what you get. I, I, I don't want my judges to be compromised, but I just this this kind of stuff doesn't surprise me. What's the old saying? Power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Absolutely, I, You're correct. That's across the board, yeah. not just at the Supreme Court. Yeah, it's, and it's probably been going everybody. on for a long time, and it probably <laughs> is everybody there. Yeah, Go along forever. Yeah. All right, got to take a break. Are we going to see further population loss here in the state of Michigan? Could higher taxes, higher costs drive people away? We've got one lawmaker that says, yeah, it probably is going to happen that way. We'll talk about it next here on JR Afternoon. By the way, we've got tickets to give away. We'll do Russell Dickerson tickets. He'll be at Arts, Beats, and Eats this Sunday. Uh, we'll give those away coming up at uh, 2.48. And then we've got some Spartan tickets again. Look, we're giving away all week. Spartan tickets, four tickets to this Friday night's game, 7 o'clock kick, Central Michigan in East Lansing. It's going to be a fun one. So we got tickets for you. We'll do that at uh, 348. Also, we got a, a Big Ten primer. I, 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 You know, I'm a college football degenerate. I love it. I, It's my favorite time of year. And uh, if you are a fan as well, we'll give you a, kind of a look into the Big Ten because the things are changing. So we'll, we'll talk about that too later on. Um, in the meantime, we, we did discuss yesterday. The governor came out, had her, had her, her, her event where she laid out the plans for the remainder of the year and the policies that she wants to see on the table for her to sign. One of the things that she had talked about was paid family, paid medical, to up to 12 weeks of it per year. She's also talk, talked about paid child care during her, her stint as governor. What she has always seemed to be a little short on is details. You know, you look at what they did in Minnesota, for example where they adopted the this type of, of paid leave, and they had to raise taxes. Yes, they had to raise. How do you pay for this if you don't raise taxes? You raise taxes on, on the employers, which then trickles down to you're paying more for goods and services. It's the way it is. And so while these, these 
policies are out there and these ideas are out there, we're pretty short on on how we fund them. Well, the idea here is that if taxes go up, if costs and services go up, Michigan is going to see a further decline in our population, one that he already cost us a congressional seat. One that we have seen for years and years, people leaving this state, going elsewhere. We're trying to bring people in and retain, not lose more. Representative Mark Tisdale of Rochester Hills joins us. Uh, and, and Representative, first of all, it's great to have you. How do we stem this tide? How do we keep people in the state of Michigan instead of seeing them go elsewhere? Well, good afternoon, Chris. But I, I was just calling in about the four Spartan tickets. Oh, all right. Very no, good. Never mind. Hold I, on. I, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, seriously, and we haven't just lost a a congressional seat. I think we've lost six congressional seats going back to 1960. Yep. Our population today is the is the same as it was in 1980. So we're well over a generation with with zero population growth in the state. And when you look at you know, the American Enterprise Institute and United Van Lines still have us as a top 10 outflow population state. And when you look at the top 10 inflow population states, our, our corporate income tax is 30% higher than the average of those top 10 inflow states. Our electricity costs are 40% higher than the average of those top 10 inflow states. So just some of those basic day in and day out issues have to be addressed because as I, as I say all the time, we don't have a very competitive average January temperature. Mm-hmm. So when you're looking to set up a new headquarters, you're looking to recruit people to come into your state and take good paying jobs. All of those things, they, they look at our, 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 our education system right now is, is ranked near 40th in the country. Uh, based on our, our our math and reading results, so so we've got some basic blocking and tackling that needs to be addressed before you look at 100% clean energy. I'm not even sure what that means or how you would achieve it, or or mandating paid leave, like adding that expense to small businesses, uh, part of which will be passed along to their employees. How that makes life easier. For, for Michigan residents. So then what's the answer? How do we improve our, our electrical grid? How do we improve our reliability? How do we keep people interested and engaged in the state? How do we attract business? What's the what's the answer? What's the plan? Well, one of my concerns over the last couple of years is that we've been, our, our utilities, consumers and DTE, and I, I do not appreciate the position uh, I, I do not envy the position they're in at all because they're in a, a, under a lot of pressure to start adding, quote, clean, end quote, uh, energy sources and renewables. But, yeah, first, let's work on and invest in the grid that we have, uh, not prematurely close down reliable generation sources that we have. Um, uh, my my concern is that we've been we've been uh, spending light on on grid stability today, so that we can buy intermittent production sources for tomorrow, and that makes no sense whatsoever. And this idea that somehow or another, you know, she wants she she talked about 100% clean energy. 
Well, that that's going to be all wind and solar with no fossil fuel backup. Yeah, what's it the mean? Does, well, sure. Well, the wind doesn't blow all the time. The sun doesn't shine all the time. And and this idea that wind and solar are clean is is simply untrue. All we're doing is we're exporting our emissions and our toxic waste from the mining and the high temperature uh, manufacturing processes, we're simply exporting those to third world countries or, or, or emerging economy uh, 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 countries um, and patting ourselves on the back because it feels good that we've got, that we're taking up uh, tens of thousands of acres, hundreds of thousands of acres, if, if, you, if, you, if you look at their target. Solar and I want to take you back to something you you said just a moment ago. Mark Tisdale with us, representative out of Rochester Hills. You, you, you talked about not envying the utilities um, and their yeah. position that they're in because they have to reach a certain level of net, you know, zero carbon emissions, whatever it is. Do you feel yeah. like their their eyes are off the ball because they have to meet a certain quota by a certain time as opposed to? trying to look and troubleshoot and determine what it would take to fix our grid currently? I think their eyes are on the ball that the regulatory authority has put in front of them. Um, and, and their eyes are on the opportunity to, to, to find and, re- and receive subsidies to meet that regulatory authorities, authorities uh, expectations, you know, um, if you if you read through the Michigan Healthy Climate Plan, which I actually did, um, DTE has committed to eight eight thousand megawatts of solar array. Um, consumers has committed to ten million, you know, t- the installation of ten million uh, solar panels. And, and, and Chris, when you look at whenever you, whenever you look at these claims, they always talk about capacity, installed nameplate capacity. They never talk about what will actually be produced. Now, nationally, solar, solar produces on average about 24% of the nameplate capacity. In Michigan, it's about 19%. We rank 42nd in the U.S. in solar irradiance. We have an average of about four hours a day of peak, peak uh, solar production, mm-hmm. and we have 72, 71 clear days on average per year. Well, look, so I, I, I think that there is an answer somewhere in the middle. I think you can use all of these tools at your disposal to help bring some of these costs down. And and this is just one aspect. I, I, I said it earlier this week. I think you got to look in the mirror, and when you see your warts, when you see the ugly parts, then you can start really determining what needs to be done. Um, Mark Tisdale, thank you so much. Appreciate the time. Good stuff. You're welcome, Chris. Um, all right, we'll take a break. If you want to weigh in on this, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. I think you got to be very careful and not just think in the near term, not just think in the now, but in the future, going going years ahead. How do these policies then affect five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now? Because there are laws, for example, on the books about about paid medical leave. I don't know exactly what the rate is, but you work X amount of hours and you get X amount of time. And then once you accumulate so much time, if you need to spend it, you can and and so so on and so forth. 
But what are the long-term ramifications of these plans? What are the long-term ramifications of tax hikes? All of those things. And then how does that then play into a state like Michigan? Well, let's, let's take a different approach. How does it benefit other states? How does it benefit places like Florida, Texas, Tennessee, Arizona, California probably to a certain extent? How does it benefit those states? Well, they're benefiting because their tax laws are way different than ours or the the climate's different, whatever it is. At the end of the day, Michigan loses out and we've been losing out for years and years. So it's not just how we keep people now. It's how do these policies that we're making now affect down the road? Because you really won't see a lot of the impacts of these policies for years down the road, at least in some of these cases. Some of them are immediate. And I think that's where people have a real problem. That's where people have a real hard time going, how is this going to help us now? Our education system has been has been either middle of the road average amongst all states or slightly below average for years. Years. That doesn't help. The auto industry is changing. How is that going to impact population retention and recruitment? Now, I know the governor wants to turn Michigan into the new EV capital. Uh, Rightfully so. They want to turn Michigan into some new almost Silicon Valley tech hub. Fine. But are we are we not only keeping those graduates from Michigan, Michigan State, Central, Western, Eastern, Kettering, wherever it is, are we keeping them here or are they splitting? And if and so far, it seems they're leaving. So how it's not just in the immediate, it's in the long term. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0957. John is in Detroit. Hey, John. Hey, thank you. Got a simple solution. Are you ready? I'm ready, man. It's got a short-term and a long-term effect, and it's uh, illustrated by a uh, principle called the KISS principle. Okay. Keep it simple, stupid. Okay. The KISS KISS principle says reduce taxes. Mm-hmm. You reduce taxes and people move in. You increase taxes. John, your phone's brutal. I, I appreciate that. I think you're right. You cut taxes, more people come to you. You raise taxes, less people come to you and more people leave. I think that's, that. That's in a nutshell, that's probably true. That's not what we're seeing now. That's not what's being proposed now. Rod's in Plymouth. Hey, Rod. Two thoughts. Uh, first of all, All policies are relying on competitive profit margins. They will always be, no matter what state or what country. No doubt. Manage your profits. If you have a lot of profits, you can tax them more. You can pay people more. You can give more benefits. However, what I called for is about uh, solar and wind and innovation Mm -hmm. and something new that's starting to, uh, and it's very efficient. It's one of the most efficient technologies, and converting wind and solar in the mechanical energy is what it's all about, but it's about that storage on off-peak hours. Yes. And so look up what the meaning of gravity batteries are because they're of great interest and they will uh, they will help to promote. And I know a lot of Democrats, Republicans, and theorists and all these intelligent engineers, they all have the idea. Of course. Has the idea. It's all about progress and understanding and science 
and they, it just works a certain way. But it's about gravity batteries. Take a look at it. All right, Rod, thank Have you. Have a great weekend. You do the same, my man, 800-859-0957. Uh, Daniel's in Heartland. What's up, Dan? Uh, yeah. Uh, here's, I've, I've uh, actually studied quite a bit of that. And what the, what we're not hearing is uh, the mechanical breakdown of these wind turbines, okay? And not only that, but they require a lot of maintenance. And it kills many, many, many birds, okay? That's one thing they're not addressing. Uh, believe it or not, even cats are uh, smaller, you know, household cats are indigenous to Michigan. They kill a lot of birds. But anyway, um, uh, the, and as far as the solar goes, it, it, it takes a large amount of silver to make solar, okay? Uh, so here's the thing. Uh, you know, you can make more fuel-efficient cars, but it's just like the lithium batteries for the electric cars. Uh, they have to tear up, uh, I believe it's um, over an acre of property to get the, you know, like the nickel and everything like that. It requires to make one of these lithium batteries, okay? They're not telling you about how much, you know, they're, they're tearing up. You see, with the corporations, they really care about a profit margin. They don't really care about the environment so much. Uh, I mean, I'm sure there are some that do, and there are some, of course, I'm sure they're all concerned about it to a certain degree, but not all of them. But, I mean, uh, you know, I think what it comes down to, is that we, we need to mathematically understand uh, how far, I mean, I know people that drive 200 miles and work at General Motors that go home every day for 20 years. They sure. drive 200 miles to work and 200 miles from work. To me, that just seems kind of crazy. I mean, when you want the Detroit police to stay in the city of Detroit to be a cop, I think it's the same thing. You know, we need to coordinate, you know, how much fuel that we exhaust. You sure. know, a lot of people are um, letting their engines run all day long, you know, they never shut them off. Same with diesel trucks, you know. Yeah. So, I mean. Uh, well, look, and, 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 and the, the, the idea right. here, I mean, we've got, this is, this is our mode of transport. We don't have mass transit. We don't have subways, any of those things. This is how we get around. So we, we certainly see a lot of that. Thank you, Daniel. 800-859-0957. Tom's in Roseville. Hey, Tom. Hi. Thank you for taking the call. You got so it, buddy. My opinion is basically what has she ever done that worked? Okay, going back to the administration, okay? I mean, she operates like any is, other... By, by she, she, do you mean the governor? Governor Gretchen Whitmer? Yes. Okay. Our lovely our lovely governor, okay? From the, I mean, the COVID lockdowns that did not work, the number of people she put in the nursing homes, okay, the roads are still not fixed. What has she ever done that worked? I can't think of anything. She promised tutors for all these kids. Okay, when they got out of the COVID lockdowns, I mean, she's very slow walking. If not at a stall on that issue, she drives on one thing, ideology, to make herself look good and to feel good about herself and advance her political career. Well, watch. look, here's what I will say. I, I, I believe in the idea that there's two ways to, to, to skin a cat. Right. There's more than one way to raise a child. There's more. There are more than there are more than one ways to do about anything in this life. I think there are ways that you can do things that will assert attract certain numbers of people or attract certain groups of people to a state. But in terms of mass transit, in terms of getting people here in mass, are these policies going to work? And that's just what we don't know yet. I, I don't. I, I. I think some of these policies will attract people in the immediate, but in the long term. We're, we won't really know the the actual numbers. And unfortunately, we've had years and years and years of people leaving this state. And it's going to bite us. Eventually, it's going to bite us. Eventually, we're not going to have enough people, either skilled trade workers, 
to do these jobs that we've got coming up. We're not going to have auto workers to build these EV batteries, whatever it is. It's going to be an issue. At some point, it's going to be an issue because people aren't staying in this state. Our 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 average age is older. We're, it, it is just a problem. So retention and bringing people in is of is top priority. How are we doing it? That's the question. Thank you, Tom. Uh, Doug's in New Boston. Hey, Doug. Hey, the best recommendation I can give, I'm an electrician, is leave the state. I got four years of work left till I can retire, and the day I retire, I will be leaving. I don't You're out. Remember, I called my dad. My Yeah, my dad's in South Carolina. Nine hurricanes in 25 years, only lost power twice. He just went through another one today in Myrtle Beach. Yeah. Didn't lose power. I've lost power eight times this year for 11 days. And he pays half the electric rate that we do here. His property taxes are half, half of what we pay here. So is that where you is that where you'd go down to South Carolina somewhere south? Uh, somewhere between here and there, Southern yeah. Ohio, uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, one of those states. But yeah, I'm de- this, the, and these programs that they're putting in are going to devastate us. They're not economically feasible. The science doesn't work on the electrical generation. It's a uh, pie in the sky stuff. For CO two is point zero three percent of the atmosphere. <laughs> Most people don't realize that. And the difference that it's going to make is nil. It's not going to have any effect for all these costs we're putting on the residents of Michigan. I love Michigan. I love the people. But the way it's run, I'm leaving. All right, Doug. Uh, well, at least we got you for the next couple of years. Appreciate it, bud. Thank you. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. We're talking EV infrastructure next here on JR Afternoon. You know, we've started to see an uptick in EV inventories, less people are buying them currently. And I think the biggest part in this is the infrastructure, whether that's not enough chargers, chargers that don't work once you get there. It is a problem. And I, and, and to me, that is probably problem number one for potential EV buyers that are in the market for a vehicle. I think price plays a role. I think all of it is 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 a factor for people. But. For me, it's infrastructure number one. I think it depends on where you're at. I think it depends on how many chargers are in your area, if you're going to get one put in your house. All of those things can can play a huge role. Jennifer Mefford's the national co-chair of the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program, and she joins us this afternoon on JR Afternoon. Jen, good to have you. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Talk to me a little bit about where we stand today. And I want to talk about where we're going in the future. But as we stand today, do we have enough charging stations around to get people from point A to point B for, without running out of juice? You know, I think as we look at charging infrastructure, we have to always keep in mind that 80% of charging your personal vehicle is going to happen at home. So most of the pinch point conversations around infrastructure are really around public infrastructure, right? What am I going to do when I'm away from my house and I'm out in the wild? and I need to charge. So I think they're really kind of two separate things. Um, Infrastructure at home um, does have some considerations and you mentioned those, you know, how much capacity do you have in your current electric panel? What type of vehicle are you getting? What type of charging? How fast do you want to do that? All those considerations are at play. I think there's some great solutions for consumers on that end. Um, But yeah, when people start thinking about, I'm going to leave my house, I'm going to go out into the world, how is that going to look for me? We've seen courage. You know, yeah, we, 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 we've seen some of the, the cooperation now, particularly with Tesla. Right. Tesla has mm-hmm. kind of owned the market space in the United States over the last 
you know, five, six years or so. And so you've got the GMs, the Fords coming out and saying, look, we got to partner with them because they already have a built-in network of, of superchargers that we can tap into. So what they're starting to do is is provide adapters so that when their customers need electricity and they stumble across one of these Tesla superchargers, they have the ability to charge up. Is it is it a situation where, and, and Jim Farley even uh, as a, as a side note, when he went out west and did his tour in the F one fifty Lightning, he said that that the infrastructure, the charging, was a bit of an issue. Is it beneficial for for those decision makers up at the top at at these auto companies to understand real world situations where they go out and say, yeah, it, it was difficult to find chargers, it was difficult to find superchargers, or the amount of time we had to wait to get charged. How beneficial is that? And then how does that shape the way they look at EV infrastructure? Yeah, I think that feedback is critical. I think they have to understand what it really feels like to own that vehicle and to use it in the world. And any of those conversations and any of that feedback, even though sometimes it isn't exactly, I'm sure what they wanna hear, um, is, is so important for how this market evolves. So there is a lot more infrastructure going in. The partnership with Tesla, uh, I think, was a wonderful, wonderful development. The initial, the secondary announcement of other automakers coming together, making significant investments in another DC fast charging public infrastructure network, um, will really help shore up kind of some of these gaps in your commute, right? It'll, the NEVI funding brings in charging stations every 50 miles, but those private investments will bring in charging more often than that. And in places that are, in and around your neighborhood. So I think that when more people who are kind of looking at EVs right now as, hey, I, I, I could maybe like that, if they make a vehicle in the style and the model that I like, and maybe it's just an electric version of what I'm already driving, mm-hmm. and I can start to see infrastructure coming in, um, I'm going to feel more comfortable. I'm going to go ahead with it. I'm going through that right now. I'm ordering my Blazer EV. I've okay. been on the wait list for a year, and I'm so excited to move ahead with that. Um, but I didn't get an EV four or five years ago because I do move around the seven counties around Detroit for my work, mm-hmm. and I just wasn't quite there yet. And I'm in the industry, right? So I think I'm a pretty normal consumer, and I think my perspective is that of many. And so I do feel like I'm much more comfortable now with the infrastructure that I can see going into the market. What's the federal government doing uh, to to kind of ramp up this infrastructure that's that's vastly needed. I mean, to me, it's almost like it's almost like the chicken or the egg. What do you need first? Do you need the EVs first yeah. or do you need the, the network first? And and I think we're trying to to kind of deal with two birds with one stone. But but what's the federal government doing? And then when do you think we get to the point where people go, OK, I see enough around. I'm going to pull the trigger and I'm going to get an EV. Yeah, I mean, I think we're kind of out of that, you know, pioneer adopter stage and kind of really into early mass adoption. There are over 30 vehicles, product is prevalent, charging is more available, prices are coming down. All those things are kind of starting to happen. So if you look at it on a growth curve, I don't think we're at the very beginning where it's flat. I think we're kind of coming up that arc up to where the market's going to grow. Now, how quickly it expands beyond that depends on all these things, depends on more infrastructure going in. Federal monies are going to support that, but these private investments by the automakers are uh, equal to that, if not greater. And I think so important in making sure that there's enough infrastructure to make this all make sense. 
in some of your last conversations uh, earlier in the show was conversation about the importance of battery energy storage. Battery storage is going to play a huge role in making all this work. How this interfaces with the grid, how bi-directional vehicles interface with your home and provide power to that home or feed power back into the grid. There's lots of technology coming online, and I love to see that innovation. Now, what sticks and what, you know, keeps carries on, I think we're in that natural kind of we've got to – We've got to keep on pushing forward and see what works. And that feedback loop that you mentioned, Chris, is so important. What is that experience really like? And then how does industry respond to it? Jennifer Mefford with the Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Training Program. Thank you so much. Look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks, Chris. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. You want to weigh in on that? Uh, it's there for you. We do have a couple folks on the line. I want to get to them. Don's in Clarkston. Hey, Don. And Don. Hi, Don. Hey, I wanted to talk to you about uh, the smart grid. Mm-hmm. We have it in our neighborhood right now. And uh, I'll tell you how it's performed over the last six or seven years. Is that all 31 power outages we've had, which are some up to eight days long, have literally been extended day by day by day by day because of their smart grid. Mm. They have to actually come out and automatically or manually reset the system every time we have a power outage, and they forget to do it. How many outages did you say you've had this year? Uh, This year we've had four. Okay. But over the past six or seven years, it's probably in the 30, 35 range. Since you got the smart grid. Yes. Interesting. All right. Well, and, it, 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 and it's it, and it's eight houses that are on this particular portion of the smart grid. They're trying to break it up into little pieces uh-huh. and bi-directional flow the elect the electricity, so it can come from either direction. Interesting. And and their switching does not work. Their cellular system does not communicate with their home base. Um, I have literally had to chase down DTE trucks to have them come and push a button inside a box. Well, look, and this is one of the things that DTE is trying to fix. They, they've got different types of technologies they want to institute that hopefully would alleviate some of these problems. 800-859-0957. Got to take a break. More next on JR Afternoon. All right, time to give away these Russell Dickerson tickets. He'll be at Arts, Beats, and Eats on Sunday, need you to be caller number 9, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Pair of VIP tickets on the line to see country music star Russell Dickerson in concert, Arts, Beats, and Eats, Sunday, September 3rd. Of course, WJR 760 welcomes Soaring Eagle, Arts, Beats, and Eats, presented by Flagstar Bank, Labor Day weekend in downtown Royal Oak. Enjoy a, a whole plethora of fine art, Tasty food, 200 bands, nine stages. It's fun for the entire family. Details can be found at artsbeatsandeats.com. For a bonus chance to win, text the word country to 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. It's going to be a, a good time uh, out in Royal Oak. Uh, all right, I want to get you caught up on a couple of different things because we, we've got some big news today. Namely, involving Donald Trump. He has pleaded not guilty in the Georgia election case. 
he also waived his arraignment, which none of that is surprising. Um, but of course, Fannie Willis, the DA down in Fulton County, is trying to get this case on the docket as quickly as possible, like in the next 50 days, quickly. So it, it is something that they want to they want to try this thing fast. Meanwhile, you've got Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas officially disclosing private trips paid by a GOP donor. And I, I guess my question is, is this surprising? I mean, we all want transparency, but I feel like at the federal level and, and here in the state of Michigan, we, we did pass a proposal in these midterm elections that that forced lawmakers to put these types of, of transparency measures in place. Um, and they have to get that done by the end of the year. I, but from a federal perspective, I feel like we've been asking for this forever and we're just never going to get it. We're never going to get the transparency that we actually want. Is anybody actually surprised that Clarence Thomas is, is, is you know, got things on the take? That he's taking things from GOP donors? Is it a surprise that Democrats do the same thing? Of course not. Of course it isn't. Do we wish that we lived in a utopia? That that we were able to to trust what our elected officials were doing? Sure. Of course we do. But at the end of the day, it's just it just isn't the world we live in. And I'm not naive to, enough to believe that they don't do anything that they shouldn't be doing across the board. Whether it, whatever branch of government you want to cite. My suspicion is that everybody is doing things that they shouldn't do. To what degree, I guess, is 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 to be argued. Um, meanwhile, the super PAC. Backing Florida Governor Ron DeSantis never backed down in his presidential campaign, never backed down. They backed down. They backed down in places like Nevada and California on their door knocking operations. Now, th- these are two very important states. Nevada is an early swing battleground state. California, lots of delegates on the table. According to NBC News, in recent weeks, they've also ended field operations in North Carolina, Texas, and other states that participate in Super Tuesday. Now, never back down, pledged $100 million towards Ron DeSantis's political campaign and their efforts, and they brought different types of reporters in to, to look at their operations in Iowa, and they've really folded up shop. I mean, they, they've really put the tent away and, and, and they're packing up. And I think this shows certainly how much Ron DeSantis is struggling to eat into Donald Trump's lead. I, I just I I have a really hard time believing that he's gaining any traction on Donald Trump. I mean, and, and it's early. Let's let the process play out. But as we stand today, Donald Trump's super PACs aren't folding. They're not. They're not hanging up their uh, their door knockers. They are it is full steam ahead. For a guy who's got legal challenge after legal challenge after legal hurdle in front of him. So Ron DeSantis just isn't able to capitalize. The wheels are spinning. He's not gaining any traction. And even for for his super PAC to, to kind of, you know, they're going to say they're they're going to reevaluate and reallocate these resources, whatever it is. But do you want to be in these states? They're very important states if you want to win this job. 
Uh, U.S. consumer spending increased in the most in six months in July as Americans bought more goods and services. Good news. The slowly the slowing monthly inflation rate cemented expectation that the Fed would keep interest rates unchanged next month, whether or not they raise them in October, November, December. They decide to hold pat and then and then raise them early next year. We'll see. But some pretty good news here. Economists say this isn't permanent. This isn't something that they're going to be able to sustain these types of of increase in spending because people are eating through their COVID savings. People are eating through their normal savings. You got student loans coming back. I mean, there, there are going to be more bills that people are going to have to pay. So you're not going to want to dip into that credit card as maybe as much as, as you have been. Uh, big travel weekend. Danielle's going something called uh, hammocking, which I didn't realize was a thing. It's a verb. You lay in a hammock. Didn't know, but that's great. She's going to have a great time. I saw the itinerary. It looks jam-packed. Um, AAA Michigan saying it's a big, big, big travel weekend. You've got TSA saying that they're they're expecting to check over 400 million people as they get ready to fly to different locations. Uh, half, we did have a caller. whose luggage will actually arrive at their destination. No, it's got to be more than that. <laughs> Sorry. How dare you? I couldn't resist. Um, I, some of the, the, the top domestic destinations, Seattle, Orlando, Anchorage, New York, and Las Vegas. I questioned Anchorage earlier. We had yeah. a caller call in and tell us why Anchorage is such a hot spot this time of year. Why? Yep. Because the bugs are dying off, but it's still not very cold yet. It's a, he said there's a sweet spot where the bugs die out, but it isn't bitter cold, so you can actually get outside. You've got a 57-hour window yeah, where the bugs are yeah. dead, and it's nice out. But he was a, he was a former guide and, and tour guide in Alaska. So he said that's... He that's goes, a pretty cool the, gig. And he said people come from all over the world this time of year to go to Anchorage because you can get outside without... I've heard the bugs are horrific. Daniel, did you, were you in Alaska? Yes, yeah, she's been there. Recently, right? Mm-hmm. In the last year? Mm-hmm. Were, did you encounter horrific bugs? No, because it was uh, it was October. It oh, okay. Was, it was winter, so it was cold. So you got the cold, no this, bugs. It was the same temperature here. Like oh, really, it, we had the same temperature. My parents went in uh, J- June, early June, and they didn't complain about many bugs. So okay, did they go on a cruise? I've heard the cruise is particularly bad with bugs. They went on the cruise, and then for, so for a week they're on the cruise, and then for like four days. They You're putzing around. Land. Yeah. yeah. All right. Um, all right. I want to try to squeeze in a call here. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. Robert is in Sterling Heights. Robert, I apologize for the lengthy wait. What's going on, man? Hey, Utah, Florida tonight, Chris. I love college football. All right. We're talking about the Big Ten coming up. It's very exciting. Stay with us. Well, you want to talk about the cost of utilities today. And yep. what I see is what are you willing to pay and what are we willing to sacrifice in reliability to have an incremental advantage in environment? And that's been disputed as well. And I'll give you a perfect example. A Chevy Corvette costs anywhere from eighty dollars to $100,000. You can get a really great car. Do you want to pay $220,000 to get a Ferrari that goes 0.025 seconds quicker, 0 to 60? I would never use that. I don't know about how you drive, Chris, but I don't know if you would use that either. So we're talking about an incremental change that's been disputed, and we're, we're having the cost increase so much, and we're having the reliability go down. And I just don't think, for me, it's worth it. If new technologies come forward and make, the, make things better and everything, hey, I'm all for that. But at this point right now, I don't see it. 
All right, Robert, I appreciate the call. It's good stuff. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. We'll get some more of your calls, your texts coming up on the other side. I also want to throw this into the mix. School shootings have become an issue. That's not a surprise to anybody. But what, what now more schools are having to deal with and having to question and whether or not they may need to make this a policy is backpacks. We'll talk about it next on JR Afternoon. We've got, Brian, we've got callers calling in talking about this uh, Florida-Utah game tonight. They're speaking my language. I'm very excited. Very excited. We're going to break down the Big Ten a little later on with Steve Courtney. It's going to be fun. Um, and we got Michigan State tickets to give away to at 348, so you're not going to want to miss that. Um, I want to get a couple calls in. Let's hit the text real quick, and then we'll talk backpacks as we get into the school year. You've got two that are really interesting here. This is from Will in Eastern Market. He says, Chris. I take exception to you saying Clarence Thomas is on the take. You should apologize for that. Whatever. Sure. I don't know. I don't care. Seems like he is, though. Maybe he's taking stuff from donors. I don't know that he's on the take. I, I don't. Okay. He did, he did something he shouldn't have. Well, in his position, any any sort of appearance of Correct. compromise is completely it's, it's, inappropriate. It's about the optics. Of course. It's about looking at it and going, okay, should he have done that? Like in this business, we can't take things from people. No, I mean, we, we can, it's against we the law. We get fired. Absolutely, we get canned. Yep, there should be a certain level of of decorum and and optics <laughs> that we are not we are not to be bought. You would think the Supreme Court would be held to the standard we are as radio well, employees, wouldn't you? We have a very different <laughs> life. I I will say this: Is it right? No. Am I surprised? No. Yeah. Am I naive to think that this doesn't go on in Washington, D.C.? Nope. Yeah. You have another one here. This is this is pretty good from Phil in Auburn Hills. He okay. says, Chris, I spent two and a half years in Fairbanks, Alaska, in the U.S. Infantry North America Cold Weather Training Center. The bugs will carry you away and leave you in the woods for dead. Oh. You could be in the middle of a mall parking lot with a mile of concrete in all directions, and the mosquitoes <laughs> will find you. But I love Alaska. But I love so. it. Yeah. <laughs> I love those flying monsters. <laughs> I miss them. I, um, my dad and I told this story. We, we went uh, hiking up in Grand Island, uh, up in Munising, Pitcher mm-hmm. Rocks. Um, I had never seen bugs like that. Yeah. The insect repellent that we had to buy, I think, was, it was like industrial gasoline. Like, it was like, it wasn't even... Like, it might have been diesel that we just had to spray all over ourselves. It was unbelievable. We went to Canada one time, and they said, oh, watch out for the black flies. Well, the only yeah. flies I know are the house flies around here. So we got there. It's like, well, how bad could it be? It's like, oh, my Lord. It's like you just hit a pony. It, I was expecting to be picked You're up like, and carried away. I, I just got <laughs> I bit. I really was. I just got bit by a by a falcon. <laughs> yeah, what's what this, was that what's thing? What's that cloud coming at me? Yeah, it's a problem. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. David's in Detroit. What's up, David? Hey, Chris, this uh, topic that you got going on with the EVs and Governor Whitmer's ideas has been talked about all day, seemingly. And I, you know, looking at it from, you know, a couple of miles up in the air, looking looking down at this whole thing, I wonder, couldn't we just agree that this is more or less an indictment of big, intrusive, overreaching government that that has to be the arbiter of everything that we do in terms of what direction we go in? Uh, finances have to flow through government, public-private partnerships, uh, the MEDC, all of this picking and choosing of winners and losers. 
just centralized planning in general. And when you look at the states that are not micromanaging as much, this is where the people are flowing to comparatively to states like Michigan, where we just got rid of, uh, you know, right to work and prevailing mm-hmm. wage, wage for no apparent reason. We dig up roads and we spend 20 years hand formed to, to fix them, but then have to replace them in 10 because of yep. the inefficiencies of government. Yep. This is another gov- This is the same government that dictates, hey, uh, take this shot. It's safe and effective, which we now know is not true. And so, you know, I just look at these states that are so intrusive. This is where the people are leaving. So maybe the answer is on both sides of the aisle. Stop being the the end all be all of everything that you think is good and, and that it must come from you, the government, or be you know, like our success must be tethered to something. And David, let me ask you activity. this, David. What are the chances of, of these parties looking themselves in the mirror and asking that question? Well, you know what? Zero. Not as long as we just have zero because you either pick A or B. We've gotten so accustomed to this A B scenario, the lesser of two evils. Yeah. I grew up on this stuff. And until something changes that way, I don't know. I, I, you're probably going to get more of it. All right, David. Good stuff. Appreciate the call. Thank you. 800-859-0957. Uh, April Rubin with Axios did an interesting story about schools around the country that are that are considering doing away with backpacks or finding a different way because, look, we saw it in Oxford. Kid brings a gun into school, puts it in his backpack, ends up killing four kids, injuring more. It is a problem that we have to deal with, unfortunately. And now schools are looking at this backpack dilemma and trying to figure out what they what they need to do with it. Uh, April, good to have you with us. What have you found in terms of these schools and backpacks? Yeah, thank you for having me. So it is um, seeming like an increasing trend for schools to require this. By no means is it all schools or a vast majority of schools, but it is 27 more school districts in the past 18 months. Um, So that just shows an increase in, you know, the past academic year, give or take a little. Um, And it is a response or rather preventative response to to an increase in school shootings. So locally uh, here in Michigan, Flint, for example, has banned backpacks in schools. They're going a different route. We've seen an uptick in school shootings, whether they've been mass casualty or not. Um, we just saw the one out at UNC just a couple of days ago. That's a college level. But but uh, but the idea here is that school administrators are trying to find a way to maybe prevent get, get one aspect of this out of the way that they don't have to worry about kids bringing things in backpacks that they would have to search or run through a scanner. And do you feel like just, you know, do you feel like this is a good idea? Do you feel like this is beneficial to kids K through 12 that are going to school and trying to learn? Do you think it's do you think that makes sense to do away with the trusty backpack? Yeah, I think I'm pretty far removed from being in K to 12 myself to know if it's if I think it's a good idea or not, but from the from what people told me and from what I read about this, um it seems like kind of mixed. Some folks are glad to have just one more measure in place um because, you know, if you can see exactly what kids are bringing in and taking out, there's just that accountability factor. Um, But on the other side, it does put a lot of the pressure on the students themselves, uh, rather than kind of policymakers for, um, you know, the increase in shootings. And so one of the people I spoke with is um, someone who studies school shootings and and tallies how often they're happening. 
And his take was kind of that this makes students feel like they're a potential threat and then loses their trust um, when they do have to tell administrators that there is an issue. So there are certainly people on both sides of, of the coin of, of thinking that this is going to help or not help or help, but at what cost? Well, and I think that's that, that's actually where I stand a lot of the times on this. It It feels like it's one of those situations where I think for younger kids that that are making this transition now, if we were to just go to a no backpack system or clear backpacks, whatever, you could make that transition. But for kids who are older, kids who are in middle school, high school, it's going to be a much bigger issue. It's going to feel differently. And it, it, it would, I think, alter the way you look at school. It would alter the way that you, you walk into your school because you're kind of always scanning to see what people have in their backpacks. Um, it's an interesting topic and one that I know schools are, are really trying to deal with. Uh, April Rubin, good stuff. Appreciate the time and, and wonderful peace in Axios. Thank you for having me. Take care. Yeah, you do the same. 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Would you feel comfortable if your kid's school did away with backpacks? Look, it, it, we are getting back to school. It is school season now. Heck, Jake starts school Tuesday. Are you comfortable with school districts saying, no backpacks, don't bring them in because we don't want to check them? Or your grandkids, if they're telling them, don't bring the backpacks in, we got to find a different way. Are you comfortable with that? Or is that a complete opposite of how you think of education? We'll do that next. 800-859-0957. 800-859-0WJR. In about 12 minutes, we'll give away these Michigan State tickets. Steve Courtney will join me. We'll break down the Big Ten. It's very exciting. College football really starts tonight. So uh, we're very excited, and um, and we'll 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 talk about it with you. Um, I, I I'm kind of torn on this backpack issue, right? I, my, my my oldest is going into kindergarten. He starts Tuesday, and we did the whole: you buy your backpack, you buy your lunchbox, and away you go. It does, to a certain extent, feel like part of your school. It does feel like when you're getting ready to go back to school, it's part of the 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 checklist. But I also think that we want our kids to be as safe as possible. And if they're transporting weapons, hypothetically, inside backpacks, well, then that is one way to cut down on it. The other way is you could consider you could consider putting metal detectors in your school. And having every kid walk through a metal detector every day. What does that do to the learning process? The learning experience? Going to school? Uh, It can't be good. I mean, I I get the whole new world and new way of doing things and hardening these, these locations. And I think that's all well and good. But that doesn't mean that there isn't an effect psychologically on these students. 800-859-0957. And now schools are are grappling with this notion of doing away with backpacks or keeping them. And I would love to hear from you. Uh, John in Belleville. What's up, Johnny? Hey, so I don't understand. Is the only way to transport a gun to school is in a backpack? No. I know. I know. My kids kids are going to school. They've got five five books. They've got note binders. They've got pencils. They're in high school. Mm Mm-hmm. A kid who's going to bring a gun into school is going to tuck it in their waistband, wear a hoodie. They're going to carve out a book. Taking away a backpack does nothing but puts burden on a kid who's got to bring all their schoolwork to and from school every day. I mean, if somebody wants to bring a gun to school, they're going to bring a gun to school. Taking away a backpack does nothing but make people feel good, but does absolutely nothing to solve the problem. 
No, I, I and I and that's that's where I I tend to side, John, and I think that's a good point. I mean, then you look at what happened in Oxford, though, and that kid brings the gun in his backpack. They don't check it, and oh. now we see what happens. That's not that's well, not there. well, right, right, and that's not every school shooting case. That's not the the circumstances in every case. In that case, it was. That's close to home, and I think that's why these discussions go on. Thank you, John. Appreciate it. Uh, Chris in Bowling Green. What's up, Chris? Hi, Chris. How are you? I'm good, man. What can I do for you? Just really enjoy your show. Thank um, you. I was back on I was back on the EVs. Okay. Um, just logistically, I wonder if people figure thought this out. Um, it takes basically if, if you drive up, shove your credit card in, in the pump, pump gas, you're in and out in about five minutes. Mm-hmm. So in theory, um, each gas pump could service 12 cars optimally. It's not going to be that much. But it, theoretically, each pump could do 12 cars. Um, when you're talking about EVs, 20 minutes pretty much is what's bannered about. And it takes to top off your EV. You can only do three cars per charging station. Um, so in order to be able to charge as many cars as you can at a gas station, you have to have 24 charging stations. And just think about the space that takes. Plus, if, if a gas station had had six pumps, most of them have about that number, um, you rarely have to wait. There might be a car in front of you. Sure. But at, at a, an EV charging station, you're going to have a lineup of cars. You're going to have to have room for all those cars to sit and wait to get to their charger yep uh no chris you're you're exactly right and by the way if you want to go back listen to any any of our interviews thegreatvoice.com we talked to jennifer mefford who's the co-chair of the electric vehicle infrastructure training program and 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 we just talked about the infrastructure for for electric vehicles and you know jim farley went out out west driving that f-150 lightning around and he goes look charging has been an issue charging has been a problem we don't have enough stations and that real world application is a good thing now, yes, the time spent charging is something that w- we are going to have to find eventually once there is mass adoption that we're going to have to there's going to be a learning curve. There's going to be a way to adapt and we're going to have to make time for that. But, you know, Jen said it right. Most of the charging is going to be done at home, in your garage, in your parking structure, wherever it is. And that's most of the charging will be done that way. Now, of course, you could bring up apartments, you could bring up condos, you could bring up a whole host of scenarios where it could be char- harder to charge your, your electric vehicle. But most of the charging will be done at home. Eventually, all of those locations will have chargers and you can juice up there. But it's when you start going, OK, well, I want to go up to Alpena or I want to I want to go to to Mackinac Island or St. Ignace or Escanaba or Marquette. And now you're starting to push, you're starting to push that that distance you could drive on a charge. And once you get up there, where do you where do you power up, right? And so these are the questions that that I think a lot of people who may be even interested in buying an EV have to ask themselves. Chris, thank you. Craig's in Windsor. What's up, Craig? Yeah, hi, Chris. Great show. Thank you. Uh, geez, there's hardly anything left in Ontario worth listening to, so I got to tune into your show. Well, thanks, Craig. Appreciate that. <laughs> But, you know, uh, you guys are talking about bugs, and I uh, hadn't thought of this story in years, but when I, 
I heard the Alaska story. I remember back when I was a younger man, back in about the mid-'80s, I was fighting forest fires up in northwestern Ontario. So I spent the majority of my life in the bush dealing with the elements and bugs. I remember this one particular year, it was uh, 1988, one of the busiest fire seasons we had on record. And uh, we had a lot of rain, so the bug breeding just went off the charts. And uh, our crew was dropped off in this black spruce swamp on the edge of the fire line. And all the other years I've been in the bush, I really never had too much of an issue. We kind of deal with it. But this particular year, the mosquitoes, the horse flies, and the deer flies were so bad, I almost went insane. Our whole crew almost went insane. As we were sitting in the swamp one afternoon, and, and we're, they were going to pull us out uh, of our location. And uh, we were sitting in this swamp, and it was one of those days where it was misty, not raining, but misty, so it was just perfect for these bugs to come out. We had duct taped everything, uh, our coveralls, our wrists, our ankles, and you had to you had to uh, grab a spruce bough off a tree and consistently wave it. If you did not, they would be on you. And remember, I was, yeah, it was, it, like, we were just losing, and the helicopters flying over, it took them about an hour and a half to get us out, and we were just losing our minds. And I remember just reaching behind the back of my neck and, and you know, your hairline in the back of your neck, and I kind of just rubbed it, and as I pulled my hand and I looked at it, it was just smeared with blood from the black flies that I got. For some reason, I couldn't feel them munching on me. So, and I, I looked at that, and I'm like, we oh got to get out of here, man. God. Yeah, it was, it was the most Jeez. miserable. T- yeah, and I'm, you know, funny thing is, like I said, I hadn't forgot. I had really not thought about it until today when you mentioned <laughs> that. And went, that and it's so imprinted in my mind. But, yeah, a god-awful situation. And, uh, you know, we are a pretty rugged crew, pretty rugged Yeah, I, I, <laughs> that's how I would take I mean, That's what I'd imagine. Uh, oh, Craig, we were, we were almost crying to get the heck out of there, right? Oh, my gosh. Uh, God bless you, Craig. Unbelievable. I couldn't do it. I'd be like, get me out of here. I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Like, I couldn't do it. Uh, good stuff, Craig. Uh, real quick, Scott and Port Huron. What's up, Scotty? Hey, Chris. Great show. Thanks, bud. Uh, real quick, the Tesla Chargers, the Superchargers, mm-hmm. I believe they do have a patent on them. Yep. Going forward, if you have a gas pump, an unleaded nozzle fits every car. The charging heads on these the EV chargers. Yeah, they're different. Have have a, you brought up the adapters. Yep. And you know, as much as you hate the government, they need to mandate one charging head. Yeah, and and, and so your, uh, yes, so Tesla has dominated the marketplace. They've absolutely dominated it, and so they their their connector, their connection is different than what Ford, GM, all the others use. And so when Ford, GM, all these other companies decided to go along and, and tap into Tesla's network, they had to start providing these adapters. And, and, and I think that's a good thing, but it is just another, another thing that you got to worry about. Not that that would deter you from buying an EV, but it is just something that you got to consider. Scott, good stuff, man. Thank you. Uh, 800-859-0957. We'll talk some Big Ten football, college football. I know it already started. But it really starts tonight. We'll talk to Steve Courtney coming up next. All right, let's break down the Big Ten, but first give away some of these tickets. Michigan State hosting the Chippewas of Central Michigan tomorrow. Tomorrow, 7 o'clock kick, Spartan Stadium. It's going to be very exciting. Be caller number 9 now, 800-859-0957, 800-859-0WJR. Four tickets on the table to go see Michigan State Central Michigan 
Tomorrow, 7 o'clock at Spartan Stadium. Official rules at WJR.com. Tickets are still available for purchase at MSU Spartans slash tickets.com. You'll be down there tomorrow. Very exciting. I will be, sir. Uh, looking forward to it. Um, there is no better atmosphere uh, than opening night at the woodshed. Uh, Mark Hollis, then the Michigan State Athletic Director, started this tradition of getting the season going the Friday night into Labor Day weekend. And uh, it's it's a great spot. It's just magical, man. Yeah, it's a great spot. It really in. is. Uh, by the way, our conversation, my friend, uh, brought to you by the Performance Remodeling Sweepstakes. Hey, whether you're into the Honolulu Blue and Silver, the Green and White, the Maize and Blue, Motor City Football is back. Performance Remodeling invites you to get in the game with their $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. Log into windowsroofingsiding.com for a chance to win Performance Remodeling's $100,000 window of opportunity sweepstakes. You know, it is bliss looking at a full slate of college football, which in essence, there, Chris, begins tonight. Got a uh, wonderful tilt uh, going on as we've got the Utes of Utah playing host to the Florida Gators at 8 o'clock tonight. Utah, number 14 in all the land. And there's also a Big Ten tilt going on, if I can throw that out there. Absolutely. Nebraska and Minnesota getting together in the land of 10,000 lakes. Uh, it's going to be exciting. Matt Rule's first uh, crack at it in Lincoln. It's going to be a fun one. All right, I want to do this. So we got five Big Ten teams in the top 25, right? Seven, if you include USC and Oregon. I don't count them yet. Okay. I don't want any part of them yet. There's got to be rules. They're not- I can't wait when the Big Ten starts playing, you know, the Big Ten Network starts playing, playing Big Ten classic games, and then you've got, like, Reggie Bush running around. Yeah. It's my favorite. It's great. Um, all right, let's start in the Big Ten East. All right? That's where all the firepower is. That's where all the action is. Uh, Michigan. Jim Harbaugh won't be on the sidelines in the non-conference. He is serving a three-game suspension. J.J. McCarthy, Blake Corum, Donovan Edwards, all back. Here's the expectation for this team. It's get to the national championship. Don't flame out in the college football playoff. Yes, you have to beat Michigan State. Yes, you have to beat Ohio State. And yes, you have to beat Penn State. Otherwise, this is a this is a get to the championship game or bus team. Let me just say this. Um, we know uh, Coach Harbaugh uh, will be sitting out the first three games. I understand, and it's a vicious rumor, perhaps at the moment, uh, for the opening tilt at the Big House come Saturday high noon against the Pirates of East Carolina, uh, the Wolverines are favored by 36. <laughs> so I guess in each quarter, they're going, 46. To, they're going to call out a lucky seat number. If it is your seat that they call, you come down and grab the headset. Come on down. And coach the team. Uh, I don't, they got to let J.J. McCarthy throw the football. And I don't know about their cornerback death. Besides Mike Sanders still and Will Johnson, I don't know what they got behind him. So th- that's something to watch out for. You know what, though? I, I think the, uh, the wonderful thing about uh, Michigan football, if I can point this out, uh, back in the day, not all that long ago, uh, they were O-linemen you. Uh, yeah. You had some big uglies. Uh, got that again. Were, yeah, and that has returned. And I think, you know, aside from Michigan's defense, that has been one of the big changes in their success. All right, Ohio State, Ryan Day on the hot seat, in my opinion. Um, Marvin Harrison, you got Travion Henderson back. Okay, those are your stars. 
Here's where the issues are for Ohio State. It's at quarterback. C.J. Stroud gone. Gone. He's now in Houston. But you got you have to try to figure out Kyle McCord will be the starter. Never thrown a pass in college. Devin Brown, never thrown a pass in college. We don't know who these guys are and whether or not they're going to be the next great Ohio State quarterback. That is a huge question mark and why I think Ohio State, in my mind, sits at number two in the Big Ten East. Well, and here's an interesting little caveat here. Uh, I agree with everything you said. Uh, Ryan Day, for as much success as he's had there, you don't lose to Michigan uh, two years in a row and come out unscathed. Yes, he is certainly under the microscope because that's the world we're living in. Now, Ohio State, interesting enough, uh, they don't open up uh, with a cupcake. They open up in Bloomington, Indiana, Big Ten, right off the get-go against the Hoosiers, 3.30 on Saturday afternoon. Yeah. So you're going to find out a Pretty lot. Quick about this Ohio State team. By the way, Ohio State hasn't lost to Michigan three consecutive times since the early 90s. Jim Knowles stinks at defensive coordinator. That's my take on it. Uh, Penn State. James Franklin's probably most talented team. You got Drew Aller, quarterback, former five-star kid. We don't have to get into the weeds here. Penn State is a legitimate threat in the East, yes? Oh, of course. And I'm not a big Franklin guy. I'll be honest with you. Um, But you, you can't argue with the fact that he's had success. Uh, with that Penn State program. Uh, Maryland under Mike Loxley looking to take another step. Uh, Maryland, one of those expansion teams into the Big Ten early with Rutgers. But you've got Talia Tungavailoa, uh, arguably the best quarterback in the Big Ten. You could make the argument. You could. Um, and they are looking to finish above 500 in conference play. They haven't done that under under Mike Loxley. But under Coach Loxley, they've shown signs of being a reinvigorated program. And Tagovailoa uh, at quarterback, he's got so many dimensions. Uh, keep an eye on Maryland. They could be a real sleeper this year. All right, to Michigan State, big year for, for Mel Tucker. Finished a disappointing 5-7 and seven last year. You got Jalen Berger coming back. You got Trey Mosley coming back. You got Jacoby Winman, Cal Halliday back. Quarterback, still a question. We don't know. Probably don't know. going to see a couple different guys Probably in that so. first game. But but this is a, a real important year for Mel Tucker to show the fans and to show, I think, the players in the program we're taking a step. Oh, that 11-win season was great, but we're, we're trying to build this thing for the long term. I think the one thing you're going to notice uh, immediately about this 2023 Spartan squad there, Chris, uh, how much better I think they're going to be defensively. I think defensive coordinator Scotty Hazleton um, has depth at defensive line. He's got one of the best linebacker rooms, and I think in in, in all the Big Ten, um, and uh, they're going to play physical physical football. I think offensively, uh, you've got uh, I believe five big uglies uh, returning uh, in the starting rotation, and they have to run the football regardless of who the quarterback is. That's going to sort itself out. I think uh, offensive coordinator Jay Johnson uh, is going to be comfortable with the two quarterback system with Caton Hauser and Noah Kim. Does somebody pull away? Uh, I would imagine that's what everybody's waiting for. Um, so looking forward to it, that's for sure. Um, they dipped back into the transfer portal again, got 15 guys out of the portal again this year. They're trying to restart that thing from a, from a, uh, a roster Well, and remember, uh, you know, before that 11-win season, which was quite magical paying off with the win over Pitt and the Chick-fil-A Peach Bowl down in GA, there were 40 new faces on that Spartan yep. team. Nobody gave them a shot, much no. like this year. Uh, I think they were predicted to finish fifth 
uh, in the Big Ten, and they shocked the world. In the West, Braylon Allen's back in Wisconsin. So is Luke Fickle. Trying to go air raid. They're built for a ground and pound attack. They're going to try to make that transition. I like Wisconsin this year, but I like Iowa better. They go out and get uh, uh, Cade McNamara from Michigan. They go out and bring Eric All in from Michigan, a couple former guys. That's a team, I think, that wins the West. And I think poses the biggest threat to the East in terms of finally the Big Ten West cracking that out in Indianapolis. Yeah, Wisconsin and Iowa. Polar opposites. Luke Fickle in his first year. <laughs> yeah. uh, Coach Ferentz, Ferentz. Been there since 1927. Kirk Ferentz's son, his coordinator, uh, offensive yeah. coordinator, took a pay cut. And they have to win. They have to have a positive winning record in order for him to return to his uh, uh, regular salary. Pretty wild. Uh, Steve Courtney's coming up next on the Mitch Album Show. That's it for us. We'll see you tomorrow.